The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. What causes a renaissance? Why do certain periods in history seem to be erupting with cultural productivity while others are relatively quiet? When does a golden age begin? In chapter 21 of the Book of Numbers, after 40 years of desert wandering, we suddenly detect the stirrings of a cultural awakening. We're only given snippets, just the slightest clues of what might be going on, and none of them are easy to decipher. But we can identify, in this one chapter, the birth of at least three distinct forms of literary expression among the people of Israel. First, there's a new book. The Torah has referred to itself as a book, of course, already in its fifth chapter. Ze Sefer Toldot Adam. This is the book of the generations of humanity. But this appears to be something else. After mentioning that the Israelites' passage through a region called the Arnon took them between the territories of their two enemies, the Torah states, That is why the book of the wars of the Lord, Sefer Milchamot Hashem, speaks of Waheb in Sufa and the Wadis of the Arnon. What is this book of the wars of the Lord? No one really knows, but the Ibn Ezra of 12th century Spain tells us that it was a book distinct from the Torah. Nachmanides of 13th century Spain imagines it belonging to a particular genre of writing characteristic of the time. Shayu bedorotahem, in those generations, anashim chachamim kotvim besipur milchamot gadolot. There were wise men who would write stories of the great battles. So, we presume that the book is some record of military history. Its exact purpose is unknown, and we only hear a fragment of its content, which the commentators struggle mightily to make some sense of. But one way or another, we see that books are being produced. Writing is now not only the province of Moses and not only used to record the word of God. The people have taken up the quill and begun to document their lives. And the second medium we hear about in this chapter is song. In language that rings quite familiar, we read a few lines further down, Az yashir Yisrael et azot. Then Israel sang this song. And this wording is clearly meant to evoke the beginning of the great song of the sea back in Exodus. Az yashir Moshe uvne Yisrael et Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Eternal. 
But whereas that song was led by Moses, the one in our chapter is sung by Israel alone. And they're no longer called the children of Israel, just Israel. And whereas that song was a lofty tribute to the Eternal, the topic of this latter song is much more prosaic. Ali ve'er enula, spring up, O well, sing to it. Be'er chafaruha sarim, the well that the princes dug. Karuha nidivea'am, which the noblemen of the people began. Bimchokek bimshan otam, with their scepters and their staffs. A simple song about a well. The tale of how it was first dug and a call for it to give water again. The basic concerns of everyday life, recorded in what appears to be a folk song. As the French medieval commentator, the Bachor Shore, describes, the very practical message of the song is as follows. Israel sang the song, Machmat Simcha, out of happiness, Ki lechaim, because they had been taken from death to life, for they feared they would die of thirst, they and their cattle. Okay, nothing too surprising about the themes here. Thirst in the desert, the struggle to survive, a careful accounting of people, and even their livestock. What's surprising is that the people are beginning to compose poems and songs to chronicle their life experiences, and even, perhaps, to entertain themselves along the way. Music, like writing, is no longer confined to the realm of the sacred nor is it solely composed by the priests and prophets. We're beginning to hear the voice of the people in song. The third genre of communication named in this section is more difficult to categorize precisely. It's called, in Hebrew, the mashal. We read towards the end of the chapter that the composers of Mashal would recite, Alkain Yomru Hamoshlim, Come to Cheshbon, firmly built, and well founded is Sichon City. For fire went forth from Cheshbon, flame from Sichon City. Like the book, the Mashal will take written record of Israel's history, including, in this case, its epic battles and conquests. Like the song, it will use techniques of verse and rhyme. But the mashal is a unique form of expression, meant to convey more profundity than prose and more wisdom than poetry. We often translate mashal as proverb. And indeed, this is the word that titles King Solomon's Book of Wisdom sayings, Mishle. But mashal can also mean parable, metaphor, or example. It calls upon our capacity for abstract thinking and inference. It uses nuance and symbolism to make its points. It is famous for ethical instruction and existential reflection. The composers of Mashal are not only recording their lives, they're processing, analyzing, and drawing lessons from their experiences. And the Mashal, in other words, you might say is the beginning of philosophy. So, history, poetry, philosophy, or writing, singing, thinking, or literature, art, theory, H however we might categorize these new forms of expression, 
It's clear that something is bubbling up in this civilization. Wellsprings of thought and feeling are finding new outlets through voices and words among the people of Israel. In Exodus, we saw the birth of a nation. Now, in Numbers, we're seeing the birth of a culture. What's causing this sudden vitality? What has called forth the creative energies of a people who have so far just been surviving? Who knows? Perhaps it's the recent deaths of Miriam and Aaron and the aging of Moses. These giants of spirit have long served as the mouthpieces for a people who did not yet know how to speak. Now that they're passing on, they'll leave behind them a great void of silence that beckons new voices to fill it. The next generation of leaders must arise. Perhaps it's the flurry of war that's summoning a response. It seems no coincidence that the three new forms of media in chapter 21 emerge in the midst of three major battles that frame the chapter. Times of great conflict and violence are often accompanied by rich artistic productivity, whether in protest, critique, or just the distraction of entertainment. Art is often the release valve for the pressures of war. Or perhaps it's simply that this is the 40th and final year of the desert journey. One generation has almost died out and a new one is emerging. The people are preparing to close one chapter of their history and cross over the Jordan to begin the next chapter. That epoch will be recorded in the majestic books of the prophets. And then the kings of Israel will rise and fall. And along the way, their reigns, too, will give birth to new literary forms. The later writings of the Hebrew Bible, the Psalms, Megillot, Chronicles. And then one day, that society will fall and be replaced by the culture of the rabbis, with their own masterpieces of literature, the Talmuds and Midrashim. And after them, the medieval rabbis, with their codes and responsa and great tomes of philosophy. And then the poetry and mysticism of the next generations. And then the polemics and commentaries of the ones after that. And then the scientists, the novelists, and the political agitators of the modern period. And the screenwriters and comedians of our own generation. And on and on. The genius of Judaism continues and changes form. In every generation, this culture is both extended and reborn. And maybe, just maybe, the earliest roots of this grand tradition first took hold in Parshat Chukat in chapter 21 of the Book of Numbers. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom. And our theme song is Pitchuli by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. 
Thanks a lot and see you next week.